Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, would you take your Bible with me? I want to spend just a few moments in God's Word together this morning. And um, just having finished uh, our series in Revelation last Sunday uh, and, and transitioning into what next week we will launch our summer series called Stories and uh, how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts a person's life to bring transformation into his likeness. But today I want to just take a moment to talk a little bit about the church, about life point, about what the scriptures teach the church to be, but also who it is that we are. A day like this is a great day to talk about something because you're looking at it in context. And so this morning we're going to look at a short passage from Acts chapter 4. I'll be in verse 32 in just a moment. But I want to begin by asking a question for you. What do you think the single most important characteristic of the church is today? The single most important characteristic that marks the church. This passage in Acts talks about this. And so let me read this for us and then we'll continue with the message. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 begins, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. God bless the reading the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word today. There are two similar passages in the book of Acts. This passage, and then two chapters before, chapter 2, verse 32 to 37 as well. And both of, both of them describe what we come to understand as the community of the early church. How it was that they formed the community. Now, Acts chapter 2 is almost immediately after the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached and and the the Spirit of God moved through the apostles and we saw that over 3,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ that day. So there is this launching of the church and the church age in which we still live today. And we're looking at it a very embryonic stage, a very early on stage. But what we learn from them are important essentials for who we are today as the church of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 of Acts, it tells us that they had a singular devotion that marked them as a church. A singular devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which we understand basically became what we have as the New Testament today. And they were devoted to the fellowship of the church. So even from the very beginning, the church was committed to building community. Why? Because community is essential to the people of God. That's why. 
And it also tells us that they were committed to breaking bread together. In other words, that's a, that's a reference for what we will later come to understand as the Lord's Supper. But not only in the way that we partake of it today. Really, it was a shared meal. It, it was the regular feasting together. Because so many good things happen around the table when you begin to eat and partake in that together. And then also in the prayers. The common prayers that they would pray that, that catechized them, that taught them the things about God and taught them the things about who they were as God's people. So when we come to chapter 4, we see that the, the momentum that came out of the day of Pentecost has continued. And, and still many people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, many commentators will tell you that the count is far beyond 5,000 by this time. So there is a revival of Pentecostal measure here in the book of Acts as the Spirit of God continues to move and establish the church. And it almost seems like the church is enjoying absolutely unimpeded advancement missionally and peace within itself. But that's actually not true at all. Because if you go and read chapters 2 and 3 and 4 of the book of Acts, we see from the very beginning persecution was the reality of their life. As a matter of fact, just before these verses in chapter 4, Peter and John and James had been before the Sanhedrin and they had already been threatened because the Jewish leaders were tired of hearing about Jesus. They had killed him already. They wanted the conversation to be dead. But the conversation was just getting started. That's what they wanted to say. As a matter of fact, they told them, you do what you've got to do. We're going to say what we can't not say. And that's what they began to do. As a matter of fact, every time the threat of persecution confronted them, the believers, instead of shrinking back, actually prayed for greater boldness to advance forward. And that was their prayer here as well. And then after that, we see this refrain that we just read in these verses. This is what was characterizing the people. And so in response to the threats and persecution and not shrinking back but, but praying for courage and greater boldness to advance forward, it just causes me to pause for a moment and ask, who are these people? Who are these people that look the, that look the, the threat of persecution in the face and, and instead of cowering, rise up to the occasion? Was it just great people or was there something greater in the midst that was transpiring to these people. When they faced the opposition that was bent on stopping them, it tells us that it actually strengthened them. And you know, historically, we've seen in the life of the church that to be true as well. If you look through the ages, even in the 20th century specifically, the nations of the world that have exercised the greatest persecution upon Christianity have seen the greatest growth of Christianity. What is that telling you? That what God is moving forward with, Satan can't stop. That even the people that serve his cause will not be a stopping force to the people of God. And friends, that's the kind of people we want to be. You know, one of the things that we could answer this question with in what I would just call a, a very simple answer is these were people who were living by God's grace. 
people who were living by the grace of God active in their life. There were significant challenges that they were facing on a daily basis. There were threats that were being intensified on a daily basis. And there were even problems appearing in the church. If you read the very next chapter, a big blow up from within the church was taking place. Why? Because Satan was attacking them not only from the outside, but from within as well. You know, I tell you some of our own testimony as a church. LifePoint has enjoyed a a very fruitful season over the last nine or so months as a church. And many of you have joined us as a church, either in the last eight or nine months, or maybe even in the last year or so. But the Lord has seen favor to bless us by bringing more people to us. As a matter of fact, if I told you about the whole first almost 19 years now, as Erica said here, that's, con- that's been a quality that we've seen. We're 19 years old as a church, and if you look at what the Lord has done, no one can take credit for it. It's just really been the work of the Lord. And we faced significant challenges during those years and those months, as, as many churches have, but the Lord has continued to be gracious and to lead us and to use us for His purpose. And what I want to say to you today is, if, if you are newer to our church, I don't know how long that might be. Maybe today's your first day, or you've been here long enough to feel a little comfortable, but not completely known yet. Let me tell you this, our heart is for those who are new to come to be together with us. Together with us. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about the one virtue of Christian community. The one virtue of Christian community. This passage is so important for us today because it reveals that one virtue that God most desires for His people to be characterized by. That, that one desire of God's heart to be the very heart of His people. And here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. That the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ produces a people who are united in His fellowship and in His mission in the world. A people who are united in His fellowship and in His mission in the world. I love the way this passage began. Luke, the writer, he writes in this chapter of Acts, he says, Now the full number of those who believed. The full number of those who believed. He's not necessarily talking about everybody that was in the crowd, but he is referencing everyone who had believed. And that reminds us of the great explosion of growth that the church in the first century had experienced And he said of all of them, there was a distinct evidence that marked their life of oneness with the whole. Unity, spiritual unity with all of God's people. They weren't all alike. As a matter of fact, if you study all of the ethnicities and the nations that would have been represented on the day of Pentecost in that place, it was one of the most diverse ethnicities, diversity of nations, and diversity of peoples that were collected at that time in that era of history. And yet all of them heard the gospel and many from each of them put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Luke is telling us, the full number of those who believed. Why? Because when the grace of God is at work, 
It marks a people distinctively in spiritual unity by God's grace for God's purposes in the world. And friends, that's not something that, pe- uh, that people can create. That's not something we can replicate. It's only something that God can produce among His people. And that begins in our heart. I, I want to look at three evidences briefly today that I believe Peter points out in this passage of Scripture as evidences of oneness when the church holds of highest value the unity of God among them. The first evidence I want you to see is this. It's a surrendered focus. Verse 32 begins, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. You see, the first evidence of God's grace among a people is spiritual unity. Spiritual unity that engages heart and soul. What's he talking about there? Well, he's not speaking of heart as we typically think of it, the seat of the emotions. But rather, he's speaking of the heart as the center of a person's outward being. So their intellect, their volition, and their affections, where it kind of comes together and centers the person. It's the outward life of a person. They were of one heart together, but they were also of one soul. What is that? Well, that's the inner life of the person that he's reflecting upon here. And what he's saying is that the whole being of each person was fully engaged in the work that God was doing. And that's what's so amazing here, friends. And even of greater magnitude, he says that it was true of the whole assembly. The whole assembly of people. You see, when God's grace is at work, it marks every person who believes by a oneness in spiritual unity. God doesn't show favor on some and not on others. He bestows himself fully on all who will receive him. Do you know that? Like, our staff doesn't get more of God than you do. There's not somebody in the church that's like, oh, they only get a small percentage of God because they haven't reached the higher percentage yet. That doesn't happen. When God saves you, He gives you all of who He is to consume all of who you are, heart and soul. And this is the first evidence of God's grace truly being at work among a people when we see this transpiring, let me, let me ask you, how well does this phrase describe how you think about church? Of one heart and soul, this, this spiritual unity of oneness together, this surrendered focus not on I come for what I can get, but we come for what God wants to do. How well does that describe how you think about the church? And would you say that you have this kind of spiritual unity with the church? Unity doesn't mean conformity. It doesn't mean that everyone is identical. It doesn't even mean everyone's on the same page. But it does mean we are of one heart and one soul under God together. Maybe more importantly for me to ask is this question. Is this kind of spiritual unity? focus is this kind of unity that God gives is it something you desire has God put a desire in your heart for this kind of focus this kind of unity with his people that's what he wants to do among everyone each individual of us 
together. What we can say is this, that God calls all who believe in Jesus to a spiritual unity by a self-denial in following Him that produces a self-identification with His people. In other words, God calls us to a self-denial in following Him that brings us into a self-identification with His people. And that's the first evidence of God's grace among us. That really refutes the, shall we say, Americana Christianity, the individualized, the self-centered spirituality, the the me-centeredness that is so often purported today. It confronts that because this, this surrendered focus says that it's not just for me, it's not just about me, but I become part of a people of God. It also confronts the hyper-commercialized expression that is too often found in the local church today, where we're selling a product, we're selling a service, more than we're proclaiming a Savior. And friends, you don't need a little help in life today. You need a Savior from your sin. And that's what the Bible proclaims to us. That's what the gospel is all about Not just improving our life here, which arguably there are many improvements that the gospel brings. But ultimately, Lord, the Lord Jesus saves us from our sin and brings us into a relationship with Jesus. You know that you are together in unity with God's people when you identify with them for your own spiritual health. Well, the second evidence that I want you to see is this. It's the second part of verse 32. It's sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. He tells us they had everything in common. Now here's the irony of that statement. As I've already mentioned, if you had looked at the crowd, just by a visual scanning of the crowd, it would not have looked like there was much to have in common among all the people. And yet the text tells us they had everything everything in common it is speaking of the way that they were thinking of their own lives you know many love the idea of the first evidence that we just saw about being together but far too often too few people want anything to do with this second evidence like because if you identify with the people that makes one step uh, closer to them but when you move into sacrificial generosity now it requires far more self-denial than even before I heard one pastor quip one time he said people get funny when you start talking about money and he was specifically talking about money which this passage talks about far more than only money it's all of life but he's right some of you are squirming in your seats right now Going, oh no, where is he going with this? Don't worry, I'm not talking about your pocketbook and we're not about to take up an offering. I'm talking about far more than just your pocketbook. Your whole life. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And what Luke is teaching us here is that people didn't say, this is mine and that is ours. That kind of sounds like a kid growing up, doesn't it? Hey, mom and dad, what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine, right? And you kind of have to manage the lines of where they're going to get drawn for that. 
But no, what Luke is teaching us here is in this sacrificial generosity, people didn't create divisions of life that kept people out of some areas of their life and allowed them into other areas of their life. You see, they weren't trying to protect themselves from the people that they were together with. They were looking for ways to invest themselves in the people that they were together with. And that's what Luke is conveying to us here. Because what God's grace does when he takes hold in the hearts of people among a group of people is he leads them to stop defaulting to self-interests so that they open their hearts, their eyes, and their ears to the interests of others. You see, grace transforms from greediness to gratitude. And gratitude always produces a generosity of spirit, of heart, and yes, friends, even of pocket book for the grace of God that's at work in our heart doesn't mean that we just come to community to take more for ourselves but that we come ready to offer even our possessions to make sure that no need goes unmet and the grace of God shows us that Jesus gave up everything of himself for us and it beckons of us how then how then could anything of mine not be given up for him if it's in need? Such a powerful, powerful, clear commendation for us of sacrificial generosity. Now let me just be clear and say this briefly. This is not some biblical foundation for some form of socialism or even what some through the ages have called a communal asceticism. We don't just pool all of our money and kind of live uh, uh, out of the pool itself. That's not what he's ta talking about. As a matter of fact, Luke's not telling us that anything got taken from anyone. It's the immediate opposite of that, that whatever each had was offered from them in order that the needs of others could be met. You know, several years ago, this little hiccup of history occurred called COVID. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you've heard of it. And one of the things that we started doing in that time was addressing as a board and, and in our elder council, how will we meet the needs of people financially and otherwise if needs arise among our congregation? And so we began a fund called our Common Heart Fund. And it was just a fund that as people had the ability to, to give to, uh, they were able to. And then as needs arose in the church, we had the resources just to simply meet those needs and to help people from where they were through what they were facing. And I tell you, it was a blessing for us as leaders because we got to help a number of families through that season. And the reason we were able to do that is because you were generous, church. Because you were generous. Now, that's not the first time we've ever done that. And I tell you, it won't be the last. As a matter of fact, Everything you're sitting on right now is the fruit of generosity from God because of His grace among a people. Everything. Some of you are in the crowd today. You remember when we walked on this cow pasture and you almost had to have a four-wheel drive to get on it. Remember that? And we said, God, whatever you want to do. What's that from? 
the generosity of our people. Why? Because their hearts and their lives were full of the grace of God. And when your life gets filled with God's grace, to deny and refute greediness, to cultivate gratitude on a daily basis, then you are moved and stirred to be generous with who you are and the ways that you can serve and the ways that God wants to use you, whether it's financially or otherwise. That's not the issue. It is the giving of self sacrificially to see the needs of others met, to see ministry go from where it is to where we believe God is leading us and how it is He wants to minister through us. And so I ask you today, is the grace of God marking your life so that you more and more are being led to sacrificially invest for the advancement of His mission through His people? That's what God wants for you. I'm not talking about simple agreement, friends. I'm talking about investment of your whole life. Investment of your whole life. You know that you are together in spiritual unity with the church when you're invested in the people of that church with your whole life. That's the second evidence. The third evidence this morning is what I call supernatural presence. Look at verse 33 with me. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. With great power they were testifying to the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, the testimony of the apostles is what we will later come to know of as the New Testament. So they're beginning to take the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and bring the Old Testament in light of that through to our new understanding. That's what the New Testament is all about. It's not going, oh, forget all that old stuff. Let's talk about what's really new now. No, what they were teaching, what Paul teaches, what John teaches, what Peter teaches, what Luke teaches, what each of the apostles taught is how it is that we understand God now by the truth of His Word revealed through the prophets of old, now brought to light through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, the Son of God Himself. That's what the New Testament does for us. And in light of that, friends, this is the very teaching, the preaching that the apostles were doing. Their testimonies comprised what would later become the New Testament as they explained all things about Jesus Christ and the will and wisdom of God revealed in light of the resurrection. And the great power that Luke mentions was in their preaching and teaching. Now watch this. This is going to be very interesting to you, I promise. When the unity of the church was together, it produced a more powerful impact in preaching. And it says that in that, great grace was on all people. So what is this telling us? Do you realize what he's saying to us here? That the oneness, the unity of the church made the preaching of the church even more potent. So that grace was more evident among all the people. There's hope for me. I got to have one failure each week, I guess, right? Is that what Luke is saying? 
Luke is not saying that the apostles were better preachers, and he's not saying that they preached better because of it. Though unity surely produces better preaching in the church, bar none. I tell you, it does. But it means that the preaching had a more potent impact on the people's lives. Every person among the church because of the unity of the church. It matters how you come in and how you participate and how you unite with God's people because that creates the spirit of the living God or it prevents it. And it makes the impact of what gets said go further with greater power from God to produce greater life change than otherwise. What a potent promise this is, friends. That when the people of God are prayed up and ready to come together and praise the name of God, not many voices, but many voices as one, God's using you in every service and in every gathering, even in community groups and when you're teaching. Why? Because when you come together, togetherness, spiritual unity, God works through that. And the people that are around you that maybe you don't know are watching you. They're being influenced by you. They're seeing what God is doing and that matters for their hearts and their lives. That's what he's talking about here. People from the crowds would just walk up and join what was taking place. And they would see the work of God on the faces and on the lives of the people. And it would begin to impact the hardness of their heart. They would hear things they'd never heard before. See things they'd never experienced before. But all of a sudden, just the togetherness of the body itself made the impact of the preaching and the ministry of the church go even further than it would on its own. You see, when the church is united, every person is more powerfully impacted by the preaching of God's words. And the greatest evidence that makes obvious how deeply and how strongly grace has taken hold of a person's life is because of this, friends. Because of what they've come to know of Jesus Christ and how it is they think of others before themselves in all matters. Three evidences. A surrendered focus. A sacrificial generosity. A supernatural presence. And friends, I, I, I encourage us today to understand that God is with us here. He is working even on the day that we meet outside. It's not like a day off from church. Oh no, we're not really having church today. We're outside. Oh, we're having church. As a matter of fact, we're going to extend church into the afternoon because the fellowship of who we are is as much, listen to me, is as much a testimony of the grace of God in our lives as the message that is preached on a regular basis. And the things that you share with one another after the formal service ends has as much potential for impact as everything and anything else that is said here today. May your lips be filled with the grace of God 
that the preaching of his word, the testifying to Jesus Christ would go forth and would continue to multiply the praise of the name of Jesus Christ throughout our congregation all day long and throughout. What is the one great virtue of the church? It is oneness among the church. Being together in Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. This, friends, is the great virtue of the church. For the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ produces a people that are united in His fellowship and in His mission in the world. And may today in our time together, the name of Jesus Christ, May it be highly exalted and made much of. And friends, our invitation to you today is if you've never come to a point in your life where you've turned from your sin and yourself and you've put your trust in Jesus, we would love to share how you can become a Christian today. To encourage you, to pray with you, to counsel you, and to celebrate with you. At the end of our service, I'll be here at the front. Some of our other pastors will remain We'd love it if you'd just come. We'll meet you here and just take a few moments before we move into the rest of our day. If you know you need to do that, why not today? Why not today?